everybody. I'm glad you're here this morning. Happy New Year to you all. And uh, we're going to start, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. Glad to be back with you today. I, uh, I got to listen to uh, Jim's teaching from last week on Spotify. The only thing I have to say is those of you who read, you have to speak up. <laughs> so, no, anyway. <laughs> We need to get a, uh, an ambient microphone in here so that when people talk and, and things like that. Yeah, there you go. So uh, anyway, no, it was, uh, it was a good teaching uh, from last week, and I appreciate Jim stepping in and uh, taking over, as I'm sure you're probably grateful that I didn't share my illness with the rest of you as well. <laughs> so... But uh, we're going to pick it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning, and we'll, we'll look at verses 1 through 10. And I don't really have a whole lot of commentary on these, on these verses other than more scripture to go along with them because he repeats, he's, the Apostle Paul is repeating a number of things in these verses that he has already told uh, the church at Corinth as well. So we'll just begin here. Uh, we'll open in a word of prayer and then get into this passage, so. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your blessings, and I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the promises of your return. Um, Lord, I thank you for the promises of reward for those who uh, obey what you say. And Lord, I, I just thank you for, uh, Lord, the, the evidence of salvation in our lives that, that you give to us and the Holy Spirit that is able to keep that salvation for us. Um, and I just pray that we understand more about you today, uh, Lord, to be able to, to display it and give it to others. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, he says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead of our heaven instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed we will not be found naked for while we are in this tent we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so he, de he describes our physical body as a tent. So what can you say, what can we say about a tent? It can get beat up. <laughs> it can get beat up. Temporary. It's temporary. It's portable. Um, it's, it's not sturdy. Uh, it can be unreliable in a, in a storm or in, I don't know if any of you have ever been 
uh, tent camping while a tornado was passing through an area. Um, <laughs> my wife and I have, and we've had our children anchoring the four corners of the tent down while this thing just kind of leans over and it, it just flops in the wind, you know, and you hope that it doesn't get destroyed or, or, or just carried off, taken away. But where else do we see the terminology in the Bible, um, the terminology that a tent is used as a temporary dwelling? The tabernacle and, and the, the, the housing that the Israelites had while they were traveling around in the wilderness, while they were, uh, after they left Egypt and they're waiting to get into the promised land, those, those 40 years, uh, they have a festival, um, or there is a festival that's yet to be fulfilled called the, fe the, the Feast of Booths, is that correct? And that we're going to celebrate in the kingdom that's a remembrance of the wandering of, of the Israelites in the wilderness as they're waiting to get into um, as they're waiting to get into the promised land. But Peter also describes the physical body as a tent as well in Second Peter chapter one. Say that again. Yeah, in the Feast of Tabernacles as well. Yep. Uh, Second Peter one. <clears throat> starting in verse twelve. Oh, I'm in first Peter. He says, So I always will I, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth. You now have. And so what is he reminding them of? If you back up to verse 3, um, just in a nutshell, verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. So, so Peter is constantly reminding his people of the power of Jesus Christ that's given to us to do everything that we need to do according to God's word and to live according to his word. So in verse 13, he says, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of a body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. In verse 15, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So the importance of what he's saying here is not only that he continues to remind people to, to live according to the power that Jesus Christ has given, but the testimony about his life continues to go on and on and on after he's gone. And so I, I'm amazed, and Jim's made mention of this before, I'm amazed at how the testimony about Jesus Christ has continued to move forward for 2,000 years, even though there are continually uh, people in the world uh, and the devil is continually trying to, to put out the, the message about Christ, trying to erase it. Um, today, the big word is cancel culture. They're trying to cancel anything that has to do with Christianity um, or anything that has to do with righteousness. Um, I, I read an email the other day from um, the ACLJ where 
the DOJ has openly said that they are pursuing people who have made a stand uh, against abortion and against when, when Roe versus Wade was overtur overturned, that they are deliberately going after people and organizations that stood against Roe versus Wade. And I'm looking at that going, how can you do that? How can, you, can, a, can a person be so filled with hatred toward other people that they want to reserve the right to kill children right up to the point of birth? You know, and, and so there, it's, it's a situation where, and I don't mean to get into politics, um, but the world that we live in today, uh, I'm convinced that these kinds of thought processes begin in our homes. Uh, and they begin um, with, with how we raise our families and, and making sure that, that everything that we know about the Scripture is being passed on uh, to the next generation so that not only that they know it, but they know how to stand up for it. And I think that's, that's a big area of my life that I, that I feel like I've really failed my children with, is I would always tell them, well, just believe, just believe. And I've never really given them and equipped them with the apologetics to be able to say, this is why I believe what the Bible says, because history says this, this, and this. And I went back uh, a week ago, and I watched... Uh, well, actually, last Sunday afternoon, just after you guys got out of church, I sat down in front of my TV and I watched um, uh, Lee Strobel's movie again. And I sat there and I just and I stopped and I listened to the things that that they were that they were talking about. The number of documents of the Gospel of John that have been uncovered is just astronomical. And the and the historical accounts, even in the secular world, that describe the truth about Jesus Christ, and I, ha I had to sit there and stop and, and rewind it and listen to it again, you know, and, and, you know, there's just so much overwhelming evidence about Jesus um, and about the truth that he is the Son of God, that uh, <clears throat> things that I never really considered to incorporate into the gospel message. And so anyway, uh, Peter describes that the tent of a body is a, it's a temporary structure, um, and it's so easy for us to look at this life as being permanent and death as being final when the reality is, is death becomes a door when, um, when, we, when we enter into the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and understanding that because Jesus rose from the dead, he continues to repeat this over and over to the, to the people of Corinth. So <clears throat> Paul repeats in this particular passage, when we're looking at verses 1 through 5, um, he repeats the promises that Jesus gives the disciples in John 14. So if we go back to John 14, I love John's account of, of the last days before the, the crucifixion. He gives so much detail uh, to the Lord's teaching in these chapters in the Gospel of John. The promise that Jesus gives, we just start reading in verse 1. I'm going to read through the whole chapter eventually, um, but we're just going to pick it apart a little bit. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, I would have told you... Um, I would have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. 
If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So keep your, keep your mind on that verse as we continue to read on because we're going to come back to it. He says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will even do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So I'm going to stop right here for just a minute and I want to ask a question. Is there anything on this earth that is tangible to us that we will take into heaven with us? Okay, our soul. Um, can you, that's, that's a good answer, but can you see your soul? No. Nothing's, there it is. This book right here. <laughs> so as I continue to read, Jesus puts such an emphasis on obeying what his word says, and the evidence of following him is obedience to his word. And obedience to his word always happens through love for other believers and love for Jesus Christ. And so Paul, when he says to fix your eyes and to keep your focus on what is unseen, Paul doesn't have the written scripture in front of him other than the Old Testament, but he doesn't have the completed Bible that we have. And we know that by in, in Revelation that we're going to be judged. And according to what we just read in 2 Corinthians 2, uh, chapter 5, we're going to be judged for the things that we do while in the body. And so the, how we're going to be judged is we're going to be judged according to what this says. And so the only thing tangible that I can say will enter into the kingdom of heaven with us is what we know about the scripture and what we obey about the scripture. And so God's word, if we go to John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And without Him, there was nothing made that was made. And so we look at Jesus' life, and if we just jump back to chapter 17 for just a moment, and he says, John 17, yeah, just turn a couple pages towards the back of your Bible. He says in verse 6, he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, 
and they have obeyed your word. Simple as that. They obeyed what Jesus said. If you jump down to uh, verse 17, and he says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And then uh, if we back up just a little bit again in the same prayer that Jesus is giving in verse 11, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And so these, <clears throat> these passages that are in the midst of Jesus' prayer, Jesus in John 14 tells his disciples, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And Jesus is saying, God, I did everything you said for me to do, the way. I, I have given them everything you have said, the truth. Sanctify them by your word, life. And so Jesus is praying back to the Father exactly what he's already told the disciples and the things that have already been agreed upon between the God the Father and God the Spirit and God the Son. And so if we continue on in John 14, I want to keep the question in the back of your mind. What's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to the believer? And so as we read this, this question, or read the, these next verses, keep that question in your mind. Starting in verse 15 of John 14, he says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, and before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live in you, and also uh, because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Excuse me, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? It sounds like a legitimate question, right? Jesus replies, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and will make our home with them. So what is Jesus' reply? The, the, uh, the offer is for everyone. The only reason why that they don't receive the Holy Spirit and why they don't do it is because they don't want to obey what I say. They don't want to obey my teaching. So anyway, verse 24, Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So you remember the question? The Holy Spirit's responsibility to the believer is to teach you everything and remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Spirit inside of us, even if we don't have Scripture memorized 
that will continue to remind us of things that we've heard before and the things that we've heard before come straight from the scripture who Jesus says come straight from the Father and the message is passed right along to us. And so when Peter says that he wants to remind us of the things that we've learned, that we have the, the divine power of everything that we need to live a godly life, to live holy lives, that divine power comes from right here. And so when Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15, to study to show yourself approved unto God and just to rightly handle the word of truth, he's asking us, he's giving us the invitation to be able to focus on things that are unseen right through the passages in the scripture. And so, yeah. Yeah, right, right. Um, and, he's, and I believe he says that after his resurrection, he's, he's talking to the disciples at that point too. He says, you have seen me and you have seen the works. He says, blessed are those that come to know me through you, through your testimony about me, uh, because they've not physically observed, you know, the miracles that have happened, but we read about them uh, and we're convinced um, that, that everything about Christ is true. And so, um, anyway, continuing on, verse 27 in, in uh, John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. And if you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. And I, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming, and he's, he has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. And so... In chapter 13, just before this chapter, Jesus is telling the disciples, a new command I give you. And that new command is that they love one another. And so Jesus is actually prepping them for the church age where the display is no longer, I mean, love your neighbor as yourself is still a command that's in place. But Jesus is saying, now we're going to take it a step further to where you love each other to the point of you're going to sacrifice your lives for each other. And so Jesus is telling, telling them that. What's that? No, he's describing Satan. Yeah, he's, he's describing the prince of this world. Yeah. Right. And so... <clears throat> You know, and, and in the next chapters, Jesus is just, just giving them intense, uh, intense teaching about abiding in Christ. And, and I've said in men's Bible study where, um, you know, when we read some of the Old Testament stories where, you know, we were talking about Joshua, in Joshua, uh, where God actually slows the solar system down. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, Joshua describes, he prays, Lord, uh, stop the sun and stop the moon in the sky. And when you think about the cataclysmic events that have to take place, 
These are men who had been traveling all night in rough terrain, 4,000 feet elevation. They, they've been climbing uphill through the night. So they've been awake all day the day before. Now they're traveling through the night to go to battle. They get there. They don't get a rest. They don't get breakfast. There's no breaks. Um, they get there, and they take them by surprise, and they fight. And then Joshua still says, hey, can we have another 48 hours a day, or another 20, extra 24 hours? And <clears throat> so not only does the solar system slow down, you know, um, I'm, I'm thinking, you know how I am, I think with my stomach, I'm going, that's a long time to go without eating. <laughs> yeah. And, and these are the things that cross my mind. As, as God slows the solar system down, not only does he, it's, it's, it's been so proven that if the rotation of the earth even changed by a millisecond a year, life would, would cease to exist. And so God not only slows down the solar system, but he sustains everything while they go to battle. And not only that, it says that more men died from the hailstorm that came than, than did by the sword. And, and the whole point of it is, is, is <clears throat> at the end of that chapter, they realize that if God had not been fighting for them, there's no possible way they could have won. And so when we think about the challenges that we face today and realize that in the spirit realm, God is always fighting for us, while we continue to be faithful to him. And Joshua, you see up, up into this point, you see that there's a couple of occasions. They're in a treaty um, with the people that they're fighting with at this point. Um, I forget the name of Gibeon. Gibeon's the name of the town. They're in a treaty because it says very clearly that he didn't seek the Lord before he signed this treaty. He just kind of looked at them and, they, and he kind of walked by his own, by his own way and all of a sudden, now they're in this treaty with this, this group of people. And the end result is, you know, that they're in this treaty for life. And so um, we do that in our own Christian walk from time to time. And so when we get back to Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5, in verse 6 and 7, he says, Therefore... We're always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. So he's talking about a physical position. But then in verse 7, he says, but we live by faith and not by sight. And that sounds like a really simple verse. You know, walk by faith, not by sight. But the reality is, is we probably walk a lot more by sight than what we're willing to admit to. What's that? Well, that's a good question. So back up to 2 Corinthians 4 and read verses 17 and 18. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the only thing that we can physically put our eyes on today that we can consider unseen is what God's word says about his promises, about his judgment, and about what's to come. And so as we study through this, I love, <laughs> I love that Jim knows so much about Revelation and about Daniel, <laughs> you know, because I listen to that stuff, and I'm sure as you do too, I listen to that stuff, and I go, wow, you know, this stuff, this is, this is coming. We can't physic physically put our eyes on it right now, but one day we will. 
And so, in, and that day will happen after the transition that Paul is describing about our, the tent of our bodies being destroyed and our new bodies um, coming to life, our bodies coming back to life, then we're going to get the opportunity to see that. And so in order to, for us to, to focus on those things, we have to know and understand the Scripture, we have to encourage one another, um, and we have to walk by faith and not by sight. And so if we turn to Galatians 5, this is kind of a, I don't know, you could say is, has been one of my life verses um, that's really, really helps me to have power over temptation. Um, in verse 16, Verses, uh, we'll read 16 through uh, 21. It says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Plain and simple right there. If you want to fight against temptation, walk by the Spirit. Um, the way Jesus, how did Jesus do that when he was in the wilderness? He quoted Scripture right back to Satan. Plain and simple. You take the Word of God and you say, This is true. Uh, maybe I don't understand it right now, but this is what I know I have to do. And, and you take that and you, and you put it right in front of you. And, and just like in Colossians 3, we'll read that in a few minutes. Um, what to put your focus on. He says for, in verse 17, For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and every uh, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so how does a person end up in those kinds of sins? Turn to Colossians chapter 3. What's that? Well, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, they, that continues on. Instead of what we just read, you think about the other things. Um, and we'll read in Philippians 4 as well. But in uh, Colossians 3, just the first few verses, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on earthly things. For you, uh, or, sorry, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So in a nutshell, this is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, uh, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in other words, what he's saying here is you have control over what you think about. And you have to train your mind to think about godly things. Otherwise, you will not, you'll continue to give in to the same struggles in the same sins the same temptations over and over again right 
Right. Right. <clears throat> and in Romans, he says that, that the war that takes place is that sin is always right here, throwing things in front of me to see what's going to get my attention. How many of you guys have one weakness that's, that just seems like it, it's more powerful than any other weakness in the world? You know what I'm talking about? For some, it might be compulsive shopping. You know, uh, uh, the, the TV, for some, it might be binge-watching television. Um, for some, it's, it's going to be physical, you know, like uh, new cars, uh, coveting material things. For, for, for some, and I know this primarily is for men, it might be sexual things, those kind of things. Um, where, for me, and, and I can say this now, but it, it, it does, it's a struggle that comes up. I don't struggle with alcohol. But I know there are p other p people that if you set a can of beer right here, they're going to, that's what they're going to feel. Oh, I want that. You know, to me, it tastes awful. I just, oh, you know, I, <laughs> the yeah, the people that like alcohol don't like this. So, <laughs> they, you know, for me, it's coffee. It could be just as bad. Um, it's not any better for you, I guess. But, you know, there's, there's so many different things and and. So when Paul says that, it says Satan is standing there and he walks along and he says, how about this? How are you going to respond to that? And there'll be things that will be tossed up in our minds. And so Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians, he, he says, take every thought that you have and bring it captive and bring it obedient to the, to the things of Christ. And so that's the way that we fight against temptation. That's the way that we fight against sin and struggle. So... Morning, guys. Good to see you. Come on in. So, were you, was there something else you were going to say? I thought, oh, okay. Okay. So, anyway, um, there have been times I, I was really challenged, and, I, and I've challenged a couple of other people, too, to, to memorize Colossians chapter 3. I've been challenged by that, by a, a gentleman before. Um, to, to study and to read. And you, as you read through, you know, he gives just description, one thing after another, after another, after another. And he says, you used to walk in these ways that you used to live. And so when you remove those things um, that he describes in Colossians chapter 3, he gives a list of things also to put back in place. Um, so, so when there's things that we remove from our lives, it's always important to take godly things and put them back in place uh, of what was once there to make sure <clears throat> that it continues, our lives continues to be occupied uh, by the spirit that walks inside of us, that works in us. So uh, back in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 8, he says, We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. And then he brings it full circle here to, to where we're going to be someday. He said, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So if we back up to... First um, Corinthians, and I forgot to put the verses down. What's that? 
That's, that's probably correct. I forgot to stick it in my notes. Um, Yeah, that's, that's a good verse too. He says in verses 5 and 6, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light um, what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. But if you back up to chapter 3, uh, in verses 10 through 15, he says, By the grace of God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one uh, can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So in other words, what he's asking here, the the test by fire that's going to happen is the motive behind the things that we did. Was the motive for Jesus Christ and for the gospel message to go forward? Or was the motive for me to get an attaboy, on the pat, a pat on the back, and receive my reward here? And I can tell you, I'll, I'll just be honest, there was, there was times, there have been times in my Christian walk where I can honestly tell you, I've, I've stood in front of a, a church, in front of a group of people, and played, and and... I'm up there and I'm singing and I'm praising God and I'm not praising God. I'm praising David. I'm up there going, man, we're really rocking it out. We sound really good. Fire, wood, hay, and stubble. It's gone. And there's no reward for it. So even though people may be in, uh, in the sanctuary and they may, others may be following and, and, and worshiping and praising God, <clears throat> the end result for me in those times is that that's going to be burned up. And so it's really, it's really changed I've, the way that I play um, in church on Sunday morning. I have to, I'm constantly trying to be cautious of, Lord, don't let me get carried away. Don't let my fingers just, you know, play and sing and, and shout and, and scream it out really loud to be entertaining or to be impressive. Because I don't want to do that. I want people to enter into your presence and all I'm there is just a tool. I'm just an instrument in your hands. And that's what we want to be. And Paul describes everything that we do. Um, we could go and feed thousands of people in Rockford. And if, if the attitude is, wow, we really, we really did good. We really did an awesome thing here. Um, that's going to burn. If the attitude is, Lord, we want people to know you and to see you, and I just want to be your servant, that's, that has reward. And so, and the same is true of when, you know, when we share the gospel with people. Um, 
Larry and I ran into a guy this, this week, and the guy, and this guy, he looked at me, and he, he knew me. And I'm sitting there going, I don't recognize this guy. You know, and I felt horrible, but I, I had to stop and please tell me your name. <laughs> you know, and he's like, oh, yeah, 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 you know, you used to go to this church about 15 years ago. I remember you, you played music, you did this, you did that. And I'm like, oh, okay. And after I left, I was like, Lord, I hope he saw you then. Because the things that he was talking about was all the things that everybody in the church was doing. And there's very little about Jesus Christ. There was nothing, there was nothing about Christ. It was about, oh, man, this church was doing this, and these people were doing this, and this, these and, and it was about him, and it was about the people, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, wow. We didn't, he didn't, he, at that point in my life, he really didn't see Jesus much. And so Larry and I had invited him to come here. Hopefully he'll show up uh, sometime soon. Uh, but uh, anyway, those, those are the things that Paul um, warns us against and describes that, that our attitude should be. And when we, when we describe a reverent fear for Christ, um, that's what that's what we're moving toward is so that people see Jesus and not us um, so just real quickly a couple more verses Romans 8 if we look at Romans chapter 8 real quick <clears throat> and the thing that I'm I'm so grateful um, for in our churches, is, not, is that there's not a lot of uh, pressure to do good works, but there, there is a constant attitude of what's your motive? Why do you do the things you do? Um, do you love Jesus Christ? And, and is that the motive behind it? And so Paul is describing living you know, by the Spirit and, and suffering for the cause of Christ Romans 8, if we read verses 18 through 25, he says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the, for the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustrations not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in, birth, as in the pains of, children, of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So, <clears throat> when I, <laughs> what's that? Patience. Yeah, patience. But not only that is, um, I, I'm, I'm not a, uh, oh, what's the word? Environmentalist. But when I go outside and I look around and I see weeds on the ground, I want to go, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like, a, I, it, it's, not a, it's not a situation where I, you know, um, where I want to elevate the environment or anything like that. But you look around 
And not only do you see just the evidence of what sin does in an individual's life, you, Paul tells us that the evidence of sin is everywhere. Um, not only just in an individual's life, but when you just look around and you see the things of the earth, um, the earthquakes, the tsunamis, the, the, the weather patterns that change, the, the different uh, struggles that you see going on in nature, um, the evidence is so there that, that the earth is even waiting for, for Christ to return and restore the, the bodies of individuals to remove sin and also to restore the earth back to what it was when it was created. Right. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and, and the Right, and the reality is is the rest of creation knows that. You know, if you could say that that the solar system, the earth and and all of those things have any kind of knowledge, they don't have wisdom. But what he's saying is, is that they're experiencing the, the, the earth and everything else experiences the consequences of what the human beings have done. And they're also waiting for what God is going to do to make it right, to fix it. And so, yeah, and that is true, is that the, the only ones who are going to experience uh, that restoration is, is, is people who are obeying what God says. So we didn't get there. I was going to go to 1 John chapter 4 as well, 1 John chapter 4 and chapter 5, where he describes, he says, he uses the word love, I think like 15 times in, in a very short period of, of passages. And there are a couple of occasions in that that he says, this is what love is. The only way that you can describe agape, godly love, is to obey what God's word says. And so today, that is considered hate crime. You know, and, the, and yeah, it's, it's considered hatred if you take God's word and you say that, that the things that we participate in on a regular basis are sin. And the reason why is because there's a, there's a nature inside of us that loves sin. And until we come to the place where we understand that sin leads to death and God took that penalty because he loved us that much. And there's an understanding that that's what love is, is when Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, then, then it, changes, uh, it changes our perspective on love. It changes our perspective on, on what sin is, and, and we, things become clear then. So I went a little long this morning. I thank you for your attention. Feel free to continue to talk if you want to discuss more. Mm-hmm.